0: The scripture reading for this morning comes from 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you can find that on page 1,081. And it reads, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, that your joy may be full.
1: So good to see you here this morning, and uh, such a blessing that we didn't have any uh, crazy casualties or anything in all the weather last night, so I am glad that you are here. I'm glad to be studying and worshiping with you today and just uh, some more good news to pile on to what Philip has already said. Uh, If you uh, go to the next slide, we'll look at the pictures, the YES uh, Youth Encouragement Services work that uh, is is put on by many Christians. Uh, The Mount Juliet Church of Christ and many of you participated in that and uh, brought toys and and things that children need uh, during the holidays and man, what a blessing. Uh, just to go along with some of those pictures i have some words from a, a worker at the yes christmas store it says once again our yes christmas store was a huge success every year i am amazed and thankful to see god's work we were extremely blessed to have your support we want to sincerely thank you for supporting our families And uh, they are excited to announce that nearly 600 underprivileged children uh, received Christmas presents this year. And we were uh, able to be a part of that. Glory be to God for the opportunity to help others, uh, especially uh, when they need it. Uh, Also, you are invited today. Speaking of celebrating and just great opportunities, uh, we are celebrating the 90th birthday of Douglas Writings. And it's this afternoon here at church uh, everyone is invited to that. It's from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. in the uh, New Fellowship Hall, and uh, you are welcome. Don't need to bring a gift, just bring yourself. It just can't get any better than that. You get to go to a birthday party, you don't even have to bring a gift. How do we define success? Generally speaking, people are successful when they, when they accomplish whatever it is they're planning on accomplishing, when they have a goal and they reach it. And this goal is reached by intentional efforts. And so whether worldly or spiritual or a family or career success, however you define it, it involves intentionality. And it doesn't just fall upon you. It doesn't just come out of the sky. It doesn't just happen. How would you define success? As a Christian, what would it take for you to look at your life in hindsight or even right now, just maybe over your past year or month or week and look at yourself and say, I know that I had success in following Jesus Christ. The Christian and the worldly person don't have much in common when it comes to defining what success is, but I guarantee you this, this, the similar factor running throughout would be that they were intentional in reaching success now being a successful christian automatically excludes uh, a few things christian success does not mean saving yourself we don't somehow earn our way into heaven we're so, we're not diligent enough to bring about our own salvation it does not mean being more righteous than the person next to you or or in the congregation or in your family It doesn't mean knowing everything about the Bible. It doesn't mean being perfect in following a code of law or something like that. Spiritual success is not measured by the perceptions of other people. We can't say we're successful because other people around us say, you know, I think think John Michael's a spiritually successful person. The perceptions of others do not define our success in the Christian walk, and thankfully, Neither do our failures. Those are not determined by the perceptions of others. As Christians, we ought to determine our spiritual successfulness by the only standard that really means anything, the standard of adherence to the teachings of Jesus Christ, God's Son. When we love others as Jesus loves us, when we serve other people, as Jesus served. When we deny ourselves, not because we're great humanitarians, but we deny ourselves in a way that Jesus denied himself. Now you can pretend to serve and love others and deny yourself and still be unchrist-like inside, and that's not success. Jesus made salvation available to all men through his death, burial, and resurrection. That was his mission and he had success. And those who are baptized in Christ, we begin our mission. And what is that mission? It is to answer this question, before I die, how much can I become like Jesus Christ? That's it, that's the mission. How can I grow up into the image of Jesus Christ? How transformed into that can I become? I already have salvation through Jesus, now how much can I look like him? Before he comes back, being faithful to this, this mission that we have, uh, that we have throughout life, it doesn't just happen. There's an intentionality to it. Successful Christians are intentional Christians. Successful Christian husbands and wives are intentionally Christian husbands and wives. Successful Christian teenagers are intentional about being a Christian teenager and on and on. And that may be so fundamental, but that's why it's so important. The moment we cease to be intentionally Christ-like is the moment we stop being Christian. Successful Christians are faithful Christians. Faithfulness takes intentionality and focus. Now throughout December, David has been continuing our soul focus theme, and he has gone to many amazing texts and he has been addressing what it means for souls to be faithful to the Lord. And today I want to continue that line of study as we look at a pivotal text in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, the First John was a teaser for tonight. We are going to be talking about 1 John tonight. So go ahead and flip through uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and we'll look at verses 11 through 16. And let's read that text real quickly. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of eternal life to which you were called. Skip down a little bit further into verse 14. Keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Skip down to the middle of verse 15. The blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever, amen. Through Paul's words to Timothy this morning, we're going to see the intentional nature of the Christian life. Paul will use direct language, not indirect, to totally dismantle the myth that the Christian life somehow just happens if you're good enough, or it just falls upon you if that just happens to be what kind of person you are. And we're going to look at four indispensable teachings that Paul's going to bring up in his words. Paul is going to teach us these four things. One, he's going to tell us who we are. He's going to tell us that as a redeemed people, we are of God. Two, Paul's going to tell us what kinds of things people who are of God do and don't do. And third, Paul's going to show us how long people of God do the kinds of things people of God do. And finally, Paul's going to give us the most important point that makes the first three possible. He's going to tell us who God is and remind us of his nature and his character. Go back to our text quickly. Verse 11 begins with, but as for you, Timothy is held to different expectations by Paul. In earlier verses above that paragraph that we read, Paul's been laying out the characteristics of those who have not been held to the expectation of godliness, to the standard of of Jesus Christ. They're not living intentionally after the pattern of Jesus Christ. Timothy's not to be like them. Timothy is reminded of a crucial truth. His identity is not of the world. It is as a man of God. Now, your identity says a lot about you. Going to a school that has a a good reputation for academics or sports or performing arts or you insert it means something. Being a United States citizen means something. Having a family with a good name means something to us. An identity is important, not because it it only conveys what you did in the past and what you have accomplished back then or where you came from. Your identity communicates further than that what you're capable of, the kind of things that you aspire to do and the kind of things that you dream about. Timothy is a man of God. And not only does that tell us of Timothy's past redemption in Christ and where Timothy came from and on and on, it tells us what Timothy will do and how he will act in certain situations within his church and within the society around him. Our identity dictates how we act. It's the same with us. And most people in society want to have an identity and belong to something as long as it's convenient and as long as... As it, uh, it is just a, a blessing to them and is to their benefit. But then, when the identity makes us, you know, calls that we act in a way that we don't feel like in the moment, we don't want it anymore. Society tries to say to Christians, sure, go ahead, have an identity in Christ, and have another identity, and another identity, have multiple identities. And when it benefits you the most, switch to the one that benefits you the most. Or just wait until no one's looking and take on the other identity. Put on the other hat and fill the other role in your life. Satan tries to convince us that it's possible with the world to have multiple identities and be different people. Satan tries to say, you can be a Christian and, insert vice, you can be a Christian and you don't have to get rid of the worldly living that you love so much. Look at the text in 1 Timothy 6. Where are those options for Timothy? He doesn't get two identities. He doesn't get three identities and so on. Timothy doesn't get an option, period. There is one way to live according to Paul. And that one way is to be a man, a woman of God. Now, the world will try to convince you that having one identity of God is going to be oppressive. It's going to limit you. It's going to make you miserable. They're going to say, you're going to miss out on all these worldly passions. You're going to pass up on all this pleasure and all this fulfillment. And not only that, you're going to open yourself up to all this unnecessary suffering, these terrible trials that you don't have to go through. The world will always try to convince us that identities are best when we have multiple ones and when we use them in a way that benefits us. I want you to flip back a page in your text there in 1 Timothy to chapter 4. And I want to read verses 7 and 8. Paul is going to refute this. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. How? How, Paul? How is it of value? Two ways. It holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So we see a few things from that verse. Training in godliness is valuable in every way. How many of the world's identities that it tries to give us have value in every way? They may have secular value. They may have temporary value, but they don't have eternal value the world doesn't hold to the life that is to come the world knows nothing about that the one identity timothy has is not oppressive and limiting it is freeing and it heals him it heals us heals us from trying to be people who try to please other people that we don't like for stuff we don't need if you flip over to matthew chapter 11 jesus gives this teaching about himself He's going to talk about his identity. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And skip down to verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Flip over to 1 John. Very end of the letter, chapter 5, and verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. God's way is not without effort, and it's not without struggle, but it is easy and light compared to the heavy hopeless burden, the world would have you to put on your shoulders. Do you really believe that God's identity is worth having at the expense of all others? Do you really believe that God's way is the best way? If we, brothers and sisters, cannot know and trust the identity that we have from God, we will never be intentional about the Christian faith We will never be faithful as Christians. We will never be successful followers of Jesus Christ. Back to 1 Timothy chapter six and verse 11. Paul begins his second thought, the second thing he wants to state. Timothy is of God and so, point two, Timothy is going to act of God. He is going to do things that are in keeping with God's will. Timothy, first of all, uh, this is where the intentional language starts. Timothy is going to flee certain things, flee these things in verse 11. And Paul's talking about the previous things. Timothy is to flee conceit and controversy and quarrels about words and envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions and friction. And that word friction there is talking about constant argumentation constantly uh, being an irritant in the body of Christ, wrangling about things that mean nothing. Uh, He's supposed to flee godliness as a means of gain. He is supposed to flee the desire to be rich and the love of money. Now, fleeing is an extremely intentional act. (laughs) If somebody gets up from the auditorium right now and just flees out the door, (laughs) what if everybody did that? There would have to be a reason, the preacher, the song leader, I don't know, but there better be good reason to flee something. And no one haphazardly flees from danger that they don't perceive as real. And yet it amazes me how many justifications come up in the moment of temptation to make sin seem like it's not spiritual danger just stick around. Maybe it's not as bad as you think it is. Maybe maybe you'll learn something new. Maybe it'll be different this time. What's wrong with just fleeing something that you cannot handle? What's wrong with being honest and just saying I've got to run away from this. I've got to flee these things. Sticking around in the moment of spiritual danger is not bravery. It's stupidity at its finest. If we keep going, we have to ask ourselves are we intentional about fleeing sin or do we stick around just to see how dangerous or not dangerous it is in the moment? If we go further from, from verse 11 until the end of verse 14, Paul begins by prescribing positive, intentional actions that Timothy can do. And, and just note the, the, the purposefulness of this that Paul says to Timothy. He gives them four commands uh, that you'll see in those verses. Paul says, Timothy, I want you to pursue something. I want you to fight for something. I want you to take hold of something. And I want you to keep something. Pursuing something. Paul wants Timothy to have righteousness and godliness and faith and steadfastness and gentleness. How in the world is Timothy supposed to have these things. Well, Timothy, if you just go to bed and you know, you put your tooth under, uh, tooth under the pillow, the fairy will come and there will be righteousness there in the morning. Well, it may work like that for teeth with money, but it doesn't work like that with things like righteousness and, and godliness and faith and love and so forth. Timothy is to go out and get these things. They don't just happen, they are to be pursued. They are the roadrunners of the Christian life, and we are the coyotes. What is, what is unintentional about pursuing something? You know Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7 what did he say something like, uh, "Sit on the couch and it will be given to you." The kingdom of God is going to knock on your door and just hit the button and buzz them in, or holler for somebody to do it. Jesus tells us, "Ask, seek, knock. And you will find, you will be given, the door will be open, be intentional. Paul says, pursue something, pursue righteousness. And all of scripture screams at us when we read it, be intentional, be a a go-getter, fight. Fighting is intentional. What if I took you to a restaurant after church and I just pointed to a person and said, hey, I want you to go fight that guy. Just go fight him, go pick a fight and hopefully... You'll be the one to finish it. You'll be needing a good reason to fight for something. Paul says, hey, I don't want you to just be a fighter. Got a lot of fighters out there in the world. I want you to be a fighter of what? The good fight. The fight of faith. Do you and I fight for our faith? People fight for toys on Black Friday because they're $30 cheaper than they will be the next Monday. Do we fight for our faith? Have you ever gone to a Kroger gas station on the day where some people are set on getting their 10 cent discount? They will fight you for that. And they've got a Prius, so they're only saving like 70 cents per tank or something. People will fight you for 70 cents out in the world. Do we fight for eternal life? If we fight over retail discounts and gas, and we don't fight for eternal life in our walk with God, we have a disconnect there. Take hold, take hold of eternal life. You know, when I was about 10 or so, I remember driving a four-wheeler at my, at my grandmother's. I don't know how I got to do that, but I was taking some toe straps around and being the bright 10 year old that I was, I put these toe straps around my neck and they were really long and well, started getting caught in the wheels and I was going down this hill so I'm not just I can't just stop and I just remember you know I know I'm gonna go off of this four-wheeler if I don't grab the brake lever and stop it and the brake lever is just right there and I'm reaching for it and all I want to do in that moment is take hold of the brake lever I'm not waiting for it to jump up and bite me in my left hand my life is at stake Do you and I take hold of, intentionally take hold of our spiritual life in a world of lust and materialism and pride and spiritual numbness? Are you taking hold of life in the spirit or are you waiting for it to come get you? Keep. Keeping is very (laughs) intentional. Is it a small thing when somebody asks you to keep my child? uh, it may be for you, but I do not know what to do with babies. They say you can just leave them there and they'll be all right. I don't believe them. It makes me nervous, but keeping something that's valuable and precious and priceless and irreplaceable and somebody trusts you to keep it for them until they return. That's a big deal. And the reality is this, God has given us his commandment not to disobey, not to take lightly. God has placed the commandment in our hands of Christ to keep. And this commandment of Christ is more important than keeping anything else that anybody else in this world gives you, including a human life. Do you believe that? What if, parents, you keep your child safe? and you keep your child well fed, and you keep your child in a school system and educated, and you don't keep the commandment of God for yourself, and you don't teach your child to keep God's commandment. It really doesn't make a difference in the long run, does it? We talk about keeping food on the table, and let's face it, most of us do a little bit better than that, and how that's a necessity. You can go without three meals a day and I can go without a nice bed to sleep in. We can go without a lot of things. You cannot go without keeping the commandment of God. How intentional are we about God? Do we pursue Him? Do we fight our way to Him? Do we take hold of Him? Do we keep His commandments? The third point Paul makes here is about the duration of all this intentionality of all these things that we're doing on purpose with a focus. Paul, how long are we supposed to do them? How long is, is Timothy supposed to do them? Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Basically we do all this focused activity until our life is over. You're not free from God's commandment after 20,000 acts of kindness You're not free from God's way after 5,000 good sermons, and if that were the case, I wouldn't be putting you any closer to the prize. think about this. It's like parenting. Once a mother, always a mother, right? No mother sits down with her newborn at a table and goes, all right, here's the contract. 5,000 loads of laundry, and you are gone. You can reach that when you're five or 18, I don't care. Nobody contracts with their kid. It's your kid. It's too important to look at it as a contract. God is our father and we are his children. And it is too important for God to sit down with us and make a contract with us. He's not going to give up on us. And it is too important for us to spin that deal around and say, I'm going to make a contract with God. But after this many forgiveness schemes, I'm, I'm out. It doesn't work that way. To be a successful Christian is to be intentional until the end. And lastly, Paul gives the most powerful reason that he can give for all of the things he has been saying. This is hard stuff to do. How do we do it? Paul says, let me give you a snapshot of who God is. And it will pump you up to do these things. It will empower you to learn or be reminded about who God is. Your belief about who God is and what he does and what he's capable of and how he acts determines everything you do and everything you don't do. And if we have struggles with selfishness and pride and envy or whatever, it's not because we have a sin problem. It's because we have a God problem in our perception of him. Look at what Paul says. Paul says, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you who God really is. And all this stuff I've been telling you before is going to make sense. God is blessed and only sovereign, King of kings and Lord of lords, the sole possessor of immortality, the one who dwells in inapproachable light, so holy no one has ever seen him, no one can see him, and the only one to whom belongs honor, and eternal dominion. Just to kind of close with a snapshot of this, I, I want to go to Hebrews and just shotgun style read some of these, these truths about who God is. Listen to what Hebrews kind of says all throughout its book about, about uh, Jesus. Jesus is the heir of all things. The world was created through him. He upholds the universe by the word of his power, He has made purification for sins. He sits at the right hand side of the Father himself. He is superior to angels, and his throne is forever. He destroyed the one who has power over death, that is, the devil. He is a faithful high priest, and he makes propitiation for the sins of me, for, the, for your sins, for the sins of his people. He is counted of more glory than Moses. He is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He is tempted in every way when he was on this earth, and he was perfect without sin. He is a priest Forever, according to the high order of Melchizedek. He holds this priesthood by the power of his indestructible life. He is the guarantor of a better covenant. He is holy and innocent and unstained and separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He will appear a second time to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He suffered outside the gate to sanctify us. With his own blood, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is who God is. And when you see who God is, you just can do nothing but say, that's what I want to give my life to. That's worth fighting for. That's worth chasing after. That's worth having one identity. I don't care what the world wants me to be. What did I learn today? One, God is more awesome than I can possibly imagine. I hope we learn that every day. Two, God gives me an identity. He gives me his identity. And that identity is a great identity. And it is precious and full of honor and worth it. Three, that identity calls me to intentional living after the pattern of his son, Jesus Christ. And for I am to keep this precious identity for the rest of my life. And when we are done with that, we will keep it throughout eternity. This morning, we haven't covered anything complex. (laughs) It's in rocket surgery. We've covered very simple things. But they are so important, and I believe that's the power of the gospel, is that God has made it so entirely simple for us to understand. And the question is, are you a successful Christian? I didn't say, did you save yourself? I didn't say, do you do the impossible on your own? Are you a successful Christian? Are you a successful follower of Jesus Christ? That is the mission, or it ought to be the mission, of everybody in this room right now. And we want to help you as a church with that mission. If there's anything that we can do, if you would like to start that mission, be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, raise a newness of life, only to look like Jesus Christ more and more every day until that great day, we can help you with that. If you'd like to be restored, if you'd like the prayers of the church, if you would like more fellowship, we are all here. Whatever you need, let us help you as we come.